Well, Jessie was all prepared to preach today. She had her sermon prepared. And then she and her family came down with the flu. So um, it is my great privilege and pleasure to offer her words to you today. Today we find ourselves in layers of liminal time. Yesterday we elected a bishop coadjutor for the Diocese of Ohio, Ann Jolly. We now stand squarely in the space between two diocesan bishops. And today we celebrate the final Sunday of the liturgical year. Next Sunday we'll begin the season of Advent. But before that, we'll have the official start of the holiday season as Thanksgiving draws near. Beginnings and endings, New Year's and old, the revisiting of rituals afresh. And as we pause here on the threshold between what was and what will be, we observe something that we've come to call Christ the King Sunday. Growing up, I assumed Christ the King Sunday was something the church had always celebrated since the beginning of time. But come to find out this is a relatively young observance, not even 100 years old. In 1925, Pope Pius XI called for the celebration of Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday as a way to rally an increasingly secular and atheist post-World War I world. And since then, it's continued, known for the beautiful music that often accompanies it. Now, I have to admit, I don't quite know what to do with the image of Christ as king. When I pray to Jesus, I don't easily imagine him in a bejeweled crown clad in velvet and sitting on a throne. Growing up outside of a monarchy, the image of king seems distant. The connotations of wealth and patriarchy feel dissonant. Whenever facing doubts about the work of the church, it can be helpful to go back to the primary source, to scripture itself. And today's scripture is shocking when placed next to the image of Christ as king. Our gospel for today plummets us into an entirely different and unexpected time and place. No throne in sight, but a cross. No jewels in a crown, but instead thorns atop Jesus' head. This isn't where we expected to find ourselves at the end of the year. Not Thanksgiving or Advent or Christmas, but Good Friday. In this reading, we get two of the last sayings of Jesus from the cross. These are the sayings we revisit each Good Friday in our ecumenical seven last sayings service. The first and perhaps the most famous of the last saying are the first words we hear from Jesus in the reading. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As Jesus hangs in agony on the cross, as his last moments are met, with increasing taunts from some and complicit silence from others, he utters a prayer. Not a prayer for himself, but a prayer for us. Forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. 
not judgment, not wielding the power like we might expect, but a prayer for us of forgiveness. They're lost, they're afraid, they're desperate, they're making a terrible, terrible mistake. Forgive them. The profundity of these words and what they tell us about Jesus feel like enough for a lifetime of faith. But the interaction on the cross has only just begun. As the gospel continues, the focus narrows in on the two criminals and Jesus on their respective crosses. And suddenly, we find ourselves overhearing the intimate conversation between three dying men. One criminal dug into disillusionment and anger that was all around them. He lifted up the taunts of those on the ground. Jeering Jesus, he mockingly asked, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other criminal, whose crime is never explained, chooses a different path. He rebukes his fellow criminal. Do you not understand what's going on? This man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned his head to Christ the King on the beam next to him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' response forms another of the last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Truly I tell you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Here is one of the most personal moments that Jesus shares about heaven and the afterlife. Not a statement to a group, not a sermon, but one to one you will be with me in paradise. And here again, we find the boundaries of time blurred within Jesus' words. Today, Jesus says, not tomorrow, not in 2,000 years, not after a few years of purgatory or judgment. No, today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And what of this term, paradise? Readers of scripture will recognize the allusion to the first paradise of creation. There on the cross, the beginning of time is brought to mind. Jesus hanging there on the cross stood as a reminder of that first paradise, lost. But not only that, the book of Revelation speaks again of paradise and its restoration. When the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, will flow from the throne of God. When trees of life will produce fruit, and that fruit will heal the nations. When light will no longer be needed, because there will be no dark. Today, you will be there with me, Jesus says to the criminal. Today we come alongside the sometimes foreign and antiquated notion of Christ as our king. We meet him 
and hear his final words from the cross. And in doing so, we're reminded that all time is wrapped up in this moment. All the beginnings and all endings, all that has been and all that will be. Jesus meets us here in the liminal space, a place where he's quite familiar because he was, as Paul reminds us, there at the beginning of creation. He's the firstborn of the dead. No matter what leaders come or go, he will rule. In him, all things hold together. So as our patron, patron Saint Paul prayed for the people of Colossae, I pray for you. May you be made strong in this glorious power of Christ the King. May you endure sufferings with patience. May you find joy. And may you know Jesus as King of all kings, who has been freed from the bonds of sin and been made perfect in weakness. His forgiveness and love ruled at the beginning of creation. They rule today and will until the end of time. To him be honor, glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>